Hello and welcome to another episode of Creative Riding, the motorcycle podcast that brings you two-wheel topics from around the globe. Tonight's show is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, go to www.patreon.com forward slash creative writing to find out more. Now, to our regularly scheduled show, show, show. All right, welcome back to Creative Writing episode. Do you know what episode this is? One fifty-one. It's one fifty-one. All right. I wish it was fifty-one fifty, but is that even right? Am I even right on numbers? I just guess every yeah. week. Yeah, you tell me I'm right. I just say you're right, and then later in editing, I make sure that yeah. you're right. I yeah, I, you're dictating what number this is. Actually, <laughs> whatever you say is what I type in the thing. In the actual show, it's going to be like one fifty <laughs> tail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need to get can you say like one through ten for me so I can just edit through? Uh yeah, no, this is uh this is episode one fifty one. One fifty seventeen. That's my new f- favorite number is one fifty seventeen, by the way. Because <laughs> I almost die over here. So we got a uh we're gonna do a best of tonight because I had to. I'm pulling an audible this week. My kid made the playoffs in soccer, so I won't be able to be around tomorrow for our regular recording night. And there's so much crap going on that I've been looking at it all, but I haven't been taking notes. And uh, so Wigs here, I I said, you know, I'm always giving you the opportunity to to bail out. I always let you go first. Well, I mean, I, that's really why we switched to Tuesday was so something happened on Thursdays. Oh, dude, like Thursday is like last minute, right? Yeah, well, Thursday. we were doing when we started. It yeah. was all Thursdays, and because you were doing it like by yourself, so and I was, was staying easy, up till like one in of. the morning yeah. editing. Yeah, it yeah. was nuts. So Tuesday gives us some leniency, and then if um, something does happen on Tuesday, we have Wednesday, and yeah. worst case, we still have Thursday. Yeah. So tonight. Maybe if Wiggs wants to come back, we'll see. But uh, yeah, my kid's playing tomorrow night, which is a regular night. And if she wins tomorrow night, she plays Thursday. And then if she wins Thursday, she plays Saturday, which let's not, uh, let's not count the bananas before the banana pie. But you know what I'm saying. Like I, I, I'm really proud that uh, I am can't podcast for that reason. But um, yeah, so tomorrow night I won't be av- available. And there's a ton of stuff. I think on last week's show, I ended it up saying, hey, let's talk about Eichmann next week. But there's so much crap coming out of Eichmann still. Um, it just wrapped up this uh, last weekend. And it was a week long full of stuff that people talked about and people love to talk and, and take pictures. But today, as you're hearing this, Wiggs and I are at IMS Long Beach, which is the progressive. Some of the uh, listeners were like, yeah, no, they said it'd be at Progressive. Progressive is IMS. It's International Motorcycle Shows. They're the main sponsor. Sponsored by Progressive. And um, so we will be at Long Beach, hopefully looking at some of the stuff that uh, Did you see coming uh, out of ICMA. On ICMA, not the, uh, just one quick part of it, how Indian quickly jumped away from SNS already? I yeah I didn't notice that on their uh, so they have their accessory line and the the pipes are all uh, Akrapovich oh snap um, for you layman's it's Akrapovic yeah yeah I'm actually I'm pretty sure the correct is Akrapovich Akrapovich is the correct way to yeah. say that yeah, yeah. It's, everyone uh, says Akrapovic, Akrapovic. yeah it's BM- not correct yeah it, it is, is not Russian yeah or yeah it's Russian or Czech or something like that yeah um, and it even has but, if you look on the pipe there's a little. Uh, schwa or something under the sea that tells oh, you really yeah um they're actually it's an interesting company they don't like have to make money really? like the people that own them own all the titanium rights or titanium imports oh my and god exports for russia or something like that 
Yeah. Holy cow. It's like the guy's son was like, oh, dad, I'm going to build titanium exhaust because, yeah. Because we own all the titanium in the world. Yeah, but, it, <laughs> but anyway, it was just interesting to see how quickly SNS kind of turn around and shit, or uh, vice versa, Indian kind of turn around and shit on SNS. I didn't even notice that. And you know what? I, to be honest, um, I didn't even see Indian as one of the brands I didn't see and I didn't hear people were even talking about Harley Davidson's across the pond and I was like, wow, I just finished up the uh two uh front end chatter that came out uh yesterday or today. And uh yeah, they they're talking about even Harley's and uh and stuff like that. And so yeah. it was interesting. I didn't hear Indian mentioned and there's a bunch of brands. They went they went A to Z and covered a lot of stuff and there was still so much they missed. And traditionally Ikema shit never makes the um, customs and and L and uh, I feel like it's just a, such a growing show the last few years. Y- yeah. Oh yeah. It's and I forget Ikema has been going on forever, but I, the December used to be the Long Beach show, and I don't know why they moved it back. I think for the rest of the year, and when they shortened the shows, they wanted a, a Midwest show to be in December, but. They switched us back to November, so now we're ba- we're literally every year so far for the last four years has been the week after ICMA. So traditionally, a lot of the BMW stuff hasn't cleared customs, um, and uh, yeah, the FTR twelve hundred never saw IMS last year. Yeah, the FTR twelve hundred. I don't remember if they had released. They it, it wasn't released. Yeah, it got yet. released at ICMA. Did it? Yeah, but it was just the what? Oh, did it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it was okay. just the concept. Which, by yeah. the way, SNS built. <laughs> well, man, they should. Uh, seems like maybe a Kropovich deal I just, was like, just found for that Italy. interesting. You know, such it, a like. Yeah, it might be just for Italy. Might have been just for Italy. You know, like I don't know how much uh, SNS imports maybe. hold it, up it against a Kropovich over there, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. But it, the thing is, it wasn't a aftermarket. It was a through Indian um, accessory line. Interesting. Like Vance and Hines and Tramp. Right. So. I wonder, they they really are trying to get on the Ducati slash BMW because all BMW stuff is a crop of it. Like all their sport pipes oh, that dude, you can all get the, is a crop of it. Anyone that wants the best of the best is going to get a crop of it. Yeah. I, I, I really don't think there's anything that really compares. Like some of the Terramagioni? Yeah. Yeah, and even those are small. Right? Even that, even that's like a smaller. Uh, but that's right? what a lot of the ducks run for aftermarket yeah. or Leo Vinci stuff, right? Or, or Leo Vince, like yeah. Wiggins is saying. If you're if you don't know if you're American and don't know how to pronounce it, <laughs> but Leo Vinci and uh, yeah, Kropovich, big European stuff. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's weird. Maybe we'll see when it comes to the states if they uh, revert back. Yeah, but um, but yeah. So we'll see. We're, all this, I, I wasn't too w- worried about missing out on everything. We should that's ride an ITR 1200 Friday. We should, and they're going to be supposedly. They hardly ever do demo rides on the media days, but supposedly this year they might be offering that. And if they aren't, hell, well, let's go back to Saturday. I'm, I'm down. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm down or not, but maybe. Yeah, our pass is good for a weekend, though, isn't it? It's yeah, good for the whole Sweet. show, right? So if they don't, they don't typically do demo rides on the on the press days. But uh, they, I, I briefly read something it'd be a hell of a lot cooler for press day if they were like hey here's the new bikes here's like two minutes about it now go ride it yeah instead of like oh well we we increased the diameter of the rear Mm -hmm. wheel by a half an inch Uh, it's like shut up no like yeah and you saw it last year and i've seen it like for the past 10 years it's basically their sales and marketing dudes out there telling you 
I mean, not that these guys don't ride. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying it's the sales and marketing team. There's nobody except for uh, KTM because Chris Fillmore, who raced the KTMs and actually won Pikes Peak on one, was there telling us about the stuff that he liked about the bike. So you rarely do get riders' insights. You usually get the marketing. You usually get the uh, sales or the yeah. the industry and reps. It, and most of the big companies, the marketing people don't really ride. Yeah, not like the hardcore. Yeah, I mean, yeah. not like the hardcore yeah. dudes. Like with BMW, if you work at BMW, you're gonna probably like take one of the awesome cars to work and like ride the bike on your lunch break or like on if a release. Let you do that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it might crazy. be two different. Companies, kind of. Yeah. Well, yeah. And them and Mini and and all of them are different, like brands under the same hat. But yeah, they do. I'm sure that there's like a big, uh, big thing, you know, where you can just check your name off on a list and take out. Not in the states, but maybe in Germany. But yeah. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens after IMS. We're not gonna blab too much about Eichmann. We got a we got a challenge to get to though before we get to a little bit of the old best dubs. I'm gonna take you back in time and play you some stuff that the newer listeners didn't have the chance to listen to and I let me curate this because I don't want you to make the mistake of going hey, back in time. Here's a random thing I just saw okay. just to interrupt the podcast. Has anyone seen the photo of the white Ford Toyota that's like rescuing people out of the fires? Oh yeah. By the way, if you guys aren't in California, the fires are well, and if you live under a rock, the far, the fires are pretty gnarly. Yeah, listen, a real quick factoid on that, the body count and the uh, northern cows over 20. Dude, it went up. My wife said it went up to 40 something today, like 42 from 29. Maybe, that, uh, maybe that's what, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like 29, it went up to over 40. Dude. And it's, I mean, because it's fire, it destroys everything. So they're bringing in forensic science scientists to like check people's teeth because that's all that's left or that's all that you can like. Yeah. It's crazy. It's so terrible. It swept yeah, through that town so fast people couldn't get out. Like people were yeah. finding bodies in their beds. Well, like one people of the, didn't even wake up. Yeah, one of the canyons um, is like a one road in, one road out. So you're just like – if you could have got your stuff and got to your vehicle, all your neighbors are trying to get out too, including like the old lady that's going to drive down there at 10 mile an hour because it's on yeah. fire. And that's what I was going to say. Someone gets blinded by the smoke or goes off the road and crashes and then that blocks the whole road. Yeah. But anyway, so there's a pretty new Toyota and the dude, uh, I guess he's been driving in and out, like getting people. And it's like, like people took a picture of it and they're like, the truck literally saved my life. Like you can see on the doors and shit where it like burned the paint. I thought that was a filter at first. I'm all, why are they? I thought it was a drawing actually because it looks so fake. And oh. then I was like, oh, that's like fire from the paint. Like I, then I realized it was a white truck with brown doors, you know? Well, Toyota USA saw it and said, we're humbled that you would risk your truck. Um, don't worry about it. We'll get you a new one. No kidding. That is yeah. so cool. If that's all true, I mean, it is the fucking internet. But um, <laughs> but that's rad. The, I mean, when people are experiencing tragedy last year during some of the crazy fires. I mean, we California yeah, last well, year burned because you know, <laughs> like you know that there's no fire insurance on his car. Oh right, right. So his insurance company is going to be like, "Well, you didn't get that extra fire insurance on your truck, so go fuck off." Yeah, because they don't like they're not they have no heart, dude. They're dude, just, there are several things that your insurance doesn't cover that you'd be surprised. You know? Actually, I was learning today. Um, so the morning show I listened to, one of the main hosts, his house burned down, um, and he had like five motorcycles. And they said, "I would say was it F, but they're both F, right?" Yeah, but it was one of the Fs. Yeah, was it was it Frank? 
Yeah. Oh yeah, no yeah. shit. Yeah. So he lives over. He lives in Calabasas, which is like right where this thing's going. Yeah. Through. Yeah. So they said he had four or five motorcycles, and uh, he wasn't on the show today. One of them was even a limited run Ducati, and the only one I can think of was the Desmo Sedici. Yeah. I mean, radio must pay well. So, um, patrons, go ahead and start kicking that up a little bit. Uh, yeah, you know, your host here would uh, like a Desmo Sedici as well. <laughs> so they also do. Uh, 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 they you, actually did a podcast for a while, right? Like when they, they were when off they were off network, the air, yeah. they did the podcast and they set up like a live stream. And now, if you want to be part of that, you have to pay like to be a premium member. So yeah, you can like watch them on live stream from anywhere. Think anybody wants to watch this? <laughs> no, I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so they were talking about insurance today, and one from the fires earlier this year in Ventura, there's a lot of people that are still out. Like insurance hasn't paid yet. Um, they, you know, insurance is like we don't have any money, but insurance also has insurance. So and, but uh, uh, insurance agent called in and he was like, "Look, basically, like if you want your insurance premium to be less, you can lower the value of your home a little bit." But then when this happens, you get paid a lower value. They're like, yeah. don't do that. You can also do a value plus 150% or something. So it doesn't quite double the value of your home. But anyway, they will pay you more. Another problem is, especially you know in California, but really everywhere because home prices are fucking ridiculous. <laughs> if you bought your home 10 years ago in California, we'll say for like 300000 and now it's worth a million – they're going to pay you three hundred thousand. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is that that second one sounds like it makes sense for uh, in not inflation but market inflation? Yeah. So they don't cover that. Yeah. Like it's not, you know. It, so you're not getting the value of your home. Um, so yeah, it, it's kind of uh, it's kind of shitty. So just you know, if you do own your home um, or you know cars, anything really, bikes. Uh, I learned this the hard way with AAA that I didn't have motorcycle towing. Um, hey, me too. When I had to call you a couple <laughs> weekends ago, yeah. And it's just it's like five bucks extra a year, or fifteen bucks extra a year. And what pissed me off, and I, I told the AAA agent over the phone because I'm kind of a dick. I was like, so I don't have that. And they were like, oh no. And I go, who the fuck sold me this plan? And they're like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, I have four fucking motorcycles, <laughs> and you know this, yeah. Like. But you don't. But you didn't think to say, "Oh, would you like motorcycle towing for yeah. your fucking four motorcycles that you have?" Yeah, I don't think they offered me it either. And yeah. when they asked me if I wanted a rental car, I said just one because my wife and I are on the same policy. But I just need one because if my car breaks down or gets an accident, I have a bike. You know what I'm right, saying? Right. So yeah, it's. But they didn't. Then they did. Didn't mention that. Well, then what if your bike breaks down? Yeah, they didn't. Yeah, failed to mention that part. But anyway, the moral of the story is insurance companies are shady. And congratulations. <laughs> you know, hopefully it all pans out and Toyota stands up and really does that. Um, yeah. Which on their end, it's great marketing. Yeah. You know, they'll put a good spin on it. Everyone will feel good about them and uh, they'll sell a couple of extra trucks too. But. And um, last year, we knew a bunch of people that were being impacted by the fires. Uh, you know, Mark. Um, Scully, Mark. He, yeah, 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 yeah. He had so to evacuate. Mark, yeah. uh, a lot of the guys from uh, Moto Chop Shop, I think, or or in uh, Moto Republic. Um, Joy from BMW. Joy, Joy Lewis, who's like mouthful of joy on Instagram. She's always out at the Hell on Wheel stuff, and and I know she, her house was like getting threatened. And now, uh, man, I can't believe like probably even Tony because he's up 
isn't he up there? To the uh, from Twenty Seven Cycles, his yeah, he up there. evacuated. He had Did to evacuate he? his house. Yeah, uh, I don't think he had to evacuate the shop. And um, also, kudos to Tony. Uh, 27 cycles, his shop up there. And I heard top rockers actually doing the same. I heard this on the radio. I guess that's where Frank goes Yeah, for his Harley stuff. Um, offering free storage. Oh, dude, that's cool. So, um, you know, Frank actually ironically just did like a burn ride over the summer, but I think it was for like burn victims, you know? Oh yeah. But it's crazy. And, and top rocker HD was what he mentioned. Also another motorcyclist up North doing some crazy stuff is Shalina Moreta. Like every time, like last year, her house almost caught on fire, her ranch. Yeah. Cause she lives right by Sonoma raceway. And, uh, She's coming up and down the coast, helping all these fires all year round. And it seems like that big, huge fire, uh, season that we just had, like had like a three month break and now it's starting all over again. So it's just insane. And, and yeah, my, my heart goes out to the people that are losing stuff left and right. But yeah. man, like when companies like that step up and, uh, it really makes a difference. It's pretty cool. So, and if anyone is in that area and you, uh, you know, unfortunate things happen, but you need a place to get your bike, um, Tony has a shop. He said he would store it, and uh, Top Rocker Harley Davidson said they would. Um, and I, I'm sure there's more, you know. But um, these places are like, hey, we know you're out of a home. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how very many people are saving their bikes. Like, I guess Frank said he should have rode one of them. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I don't know why I didn't just ride because he probably got in the car with his family. Yeah, that's and, what I was thinking. Yeah, my thing is like we'd probably you don't really have time to load up anything, but we'd probably take two vehicles. Yeah. Because I'm sure, even though we have full coverage, I'm sure it doesn't cover fire. Yeah, I don't. I doubt it. So, but um, that yeah, so. that's um, it's something that you don't plan for. It's like the least. Like I, I've thought about this before. What if, like, I was? I don't. I haven't welded here, but at my old place, I welded quite a bit, and I grinded stuff all the time, and I took the proper measures to cover up and not grind sparks at like a pile of cardboard or anything. Yeah. But I always have, like, I always store my flammable stuff down there. I used to have a um, refrigerator that I kept it in to keep the fumes out. But I always wonder, like, what would happen if I started a stupid fire doing some work around here? So I always keep a spray bottle of water next to my workbench i also keep some wd-40 and if i was in a mess in a hurry hopefully i would pick the water and nothing <laughs> i was gonna say that's flammable <laughs> but um but i always try to think of that stuff because that's the last thing i i mean we live in us living so close to the foothills and unfortunately i don't yeah. live that close anymore but i did you know before where it was like embers you could see them coming down and i was mm-hmm. worried about that and um, yeah i'm like two blocks from that yeah i know from the mountains. you're really I close mean, and I think it is something to be aware of. You know, a lot of these fires are honestly started from people throwing cigarette butts out the window. Yeah. Um, and it just costs billions and billions and billions of dollars in damages in people's lives. And it's because some person threw a cigarette butt yeah. out the window. I will I, say, I, mean, this I don't is, know that that's th- these ones, yeah, yeah. but it usually. Um, and the state has actually been shutting off power during the fires because some of the power lines caused some of the fires, I guess, last year. So, Well, they'll catch fire and then they'll sit there and well, drag. Yeah, and then there yeah. are other dangerous, you know, it's yeah. another dangerous element to add to it. So I, I guess I'm never, I didn't know I was for vaping, but if you vape, I guess you probably don't need a lighter and you can't, you don't throw it out. So vape. Yeah, don't leave your vape plugged in overnight. It'll blow up. Oh, there you go. Or and don't use a Samsung Galaxy phone out in the woods Yeah, to take selfies <laughs> <laughs> so we, we probably should cover that covers <laughs> that covers everything that was such a pathetic pathetic sound but uh yeah i i just i feel bad for everybody out there and 
and uh, I hope everybody's safe that uh, that we know. And my heart goes out to the families that have lost everything. Well, having said that, let's do that. Uh, let's do this again. <laughs> you ready to get into a challenge? Let's do it. Sure. And we're gonna blast Wiggins out of here, and I'm gonna do a best of, and let you hear some yokel that you probably didn't travel back in time to listen to. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our challenge. Coming up next, I'm Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. Hey there, this is Patron Matt from My Motorbike Obsessions. I'm currently coming at you from Tokyo, and you're listening to the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast, probably because you ran out of all the other podcasts to listen to, and you really dig motorcycle haiku. Later. Don't forget your Clobbins pickles, everybody out there in uh, Razorville. You don't want to start your weekend off on the wrong foot, which is not a green foot. What's green and a foot long? Clobbin pickle. That's a, <laughs> that's what, of course. So if you want to win the race this weekend, make sure you bite into a classic dill or one of those disgusting sweets that Clobbin's famous for. Clobbin, the official pickle of motorcycle racers everywhere. Hey there, listeners. This is Patreon subscriber Narissa coming to you from inside my helmet in the land of beer and cheese, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You're listening to the Creative Writing Podcast because you're obviously ridiculously good looking. All right, let me see if I can remember the rules that I made up last week. All right, this is our challenge, and I probably have some good challenge music. Let me see. That's a cat, dude. That is not music. Here we go. All right, everybody, it's time for a challenge. Did you make that, or is that what I think it is? This is a... I made this on the, the computer. Okay. Yeah. It resembles something that is... I don't want to say... Oh, yeah. to get you in trouble. Yeah. No, it's not copyright. I, I never use... Uh, okay. That I heard on my head through the radio. <laughs> yeah. I use... Um, a little similar. Sometimes I write my own stuff from scratch, and sometimes I just mix a bunch of the Apple royalty-free music together to make or mix the instruments together to make a track so here's how this challenge works people we have a topic tonight you can hear that clinking around that is our comically large piece of money first we roll a dice and whoever uh, i'm gonna let wiggins go first since he won last week and uh how did i win last week i didn't even compete last week. i know but you still won because you didn't have to pull a dumb challenge out of the hat i pulled three a three so wiggins gets a three i'm gonna roll and then uh then we flip a coin, so it's like double random, okay? So let me roll mine. Wouldn't it still just rely on the coin? No, because the coin determines who goes out of us here. Because if we could, we could always do who rolls higher. By but the way, Turdman rolled a four. I rolled a four. And last week you rolled a four and I rolled a five. So yeah. <laughs> damn it, I'm still higher. But this week, but then this determines which one of us goes. Now we just have numbers. So this actually determines. I'm gonna do this football style. I don't trust Wiggins last week. I think he like did some uh, prestidigitation, like mag- magician bullshit. So I'm just gonna throw this football style on whatever it lands like on the ground. Nine inches in diameter, and he Dude, thinks this I is gonna, this is gonna it out smash. Of my sleeve. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
it is comically large because I didn't want you it's to like trick me. It's like the ultimate pog. Yeah, it, dude, this is like, I think this is a hubcap off a of Chevy that got stamped with the quarter on it. But yeah, let's just do this football style. Yes! But no one picked heads or tails. Well, tails is, heads is always higher because it starts with the H and tails uh, is oh, lower. that's right. So whoever got the higher number, they have to draw out of the hat then, right? <laughs> you have to draw the hat oh, okay. this week. And it's a helmet. Pinstriped by Dave at Cerberus. Actually, this isn't by Dave, but somebody pinstriped this. FTW1. Oh. Forever Two Wheels 1. You're sticky. You're... You're stuck together. It doesn't say anything. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, Chris doesn't have to do anything. This Just his luck. He picks the one that doesn't have a challenge on it. I think it does. It's just stuck, and I don't have fingernails. I cut yeah, them I today. cut mine too, which is dumb because I was trying to play guitar the other day without them. Voice your cheap malice bird sounds. Oh, is my writing that badly? Or your cheap. I'm confused. I don't know what that means. Oh, you're cheap. Make bird sounds. Yeah, my writing is terrible. You're cheap. You have to make bird sounds randomly throughout uh, this challenge. What does that have to do with being cheap? Cheap. I spelled it like cheap like a bird. Oh, okay. <laughs> you don't have to act don't they cheap. chirp? Yeah. Oh. All right, now that one's in the trash and it can't be uh, recycled again. So, yeah, wigs, you have to cheap during during your uh, – that'll give me a little bit of an advantage this time. Maybe maybe I'll win, even though you won last week and you didn't even have I want listener feedback that says the chirping and the bob is a bad idea. Oh, no. I got two, <laughs> at least two or three feedbacks that was like, hey, Bob, that Bob was Bob, honey, Bob. Or like they didn't didn't even say it was funny. They were just like, hey, Bob, you, Bob, better, Bob, win, Bob, next, Bob, week, Bob. Like I was like, yes. Like people uh, thought it was pretty funny. Oh, man. So let's see if Good. they think bird chirps are funny. I don't know. Unfortunately, I don't have a bird chirp on here to fill in for you. Like I would I would do it for you. I do have this. i figure out how to chirp without spitting on the thing. Oh, I just you won't you won't spit on the thing. Do you want to go first or second? Chirp, chirp, yeah, chirp. there you go. Okay, it's pretty sad, but all right. Listen to this, or I can be like, Caw-caw. oh, you're like whistling. Damn, that's talented, dude. I got like, you know, I listen to him all day at work. I'm waiting so. on a bluebird to fly through the window and try to mate with you. <laughs> Start pecking on your head. Hey, why don't birds wear underwear? Um, I I don't know because their peckers are on their face. <laughs> And with that, I'm going to let Wiggins start this challenge. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I'm not real sure how it's a challenge. I'm just going to tell some history about something. All right, good. Let's hear all about it because I'm, okay. I'm anchoring to learn. And by anchoring, I mean hankering. So I decided, at least for the first week, for my suspension, I was going to pick the most common front suspension for motorcycles in the world. Oh, my God. The fork? <laughs> The telescopic fork. Yeah, the telescopic fork. Oh, man. I like that because you also, to me, picked the most pedestrian motor in the world, and everyone's like, no, that was the craziest. Like, the C, the CB750 was the craziest at the time. Like, think about it. And I was like, oh, he always picks the stuff that's See, right, that in, one was right good, in my face. That was, like, that was like how I like brought it in. Yeah. Because you were like, CB750, everything's a four-cylinder. It's boring. And I was like, but in 1969. Yeah. I should have been like. about that. The year was 1969. <laughs> Summer of love. Like this one, I could be like, the year was 19... That's not right. That's not the first one. 1908. Was that the first one? And everyone had 
springers and yeah. weird shit. Uh, yeah, so you'll never guess the company to first put it on. I'm going to guess that it's Merkel. No. Let me have one more guess. Okay. I'm not going to guess. At, oh, you know what? It was because um, Indian used leaf springs and uh, Merkel, I forgot, they used springers. It was uh, – It probably – it, it might have been an American company. Let Crocker. Me, let me click that one. No. Okay. It was Scott. Hmm. That sounds like a Scotch company, Scott. but I don't, I don't think anybody from Scotland made motorcycles. Shit, Scott lasted longer than Indian. Oh, shit. They didn't start – well, founded in 1908, so they, they were like, hey, we got this good idea for front suspension. Let's build a motorcycle. That's how motorcycles kind of started. And right? they went defunct in 1969. Wow. So for all 10 you, years longer – well, 10 uh, years longer than Indian. 17. Indian, Indian went out 50, in 53. 53? But they started in 01. Yeah. Um, oh, they're Bradford, West Yorkshire, England. Oh, wow. Uh, sorry, I just love to poke fun at Indian. I know you do. It's just in our racing, there's so many Indian fanboys, and they're not Indian fanboys. They're Polaris fanboys. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, so Scott Motorcycle Company. Now, the interesting part is um, they were undampened. Mm. Telescopic forks were used on bikes made by Scott in 1908. And the, the Danish Nimbus... Yeah, Nimbus was pretty rad motorcycles. Used them from 1934. So it's actually kind of crazy. 1908, and then Nimbus used them in 1934, but the first company to put oil in them to dampen them was very common, or uh, I don't know if common is the right word, but a very um, still around, (laughs) not even like defunct ever, um, BMW. I thought, 19, I thought you were going to say Harley Davidson. <laughs> 1935. Oh, yeah. Shit, Harley Davidson still uses Springers now. <laughs> Everyone thinks they're cool until remember, they ride one. Yeah, I was going to say, remember when you could buy the soft bones? And I was like, God, yeah. why did they make yeah. that? Up until like 07, they still made People Springers. People love it. And I rode one. They're not, not that bike, but a bike with a Springer. They're not that bad. Yeah. But they're not that good either. Yeah. Well, Roland Sands, uh, going back to the Indian spring, like literally a leaf spring, made that yeah. spring tracker that looked like an old, old Indian. Yeah, but, but man, he te- rides his bikes once and puts yeah, them I away, know. so it doesn't matter. In a museum. I, I, I got to tell you, telescopic forks is the way to go. I like them, and I want to hear all about them. You know, they're not – after riding the new Goldwing and uh, you know a lot of the Beamer stuff, not that I've ridden a lot of the Beamer stuff, but the little bit that I have ridden, they're not the best way to go ride-wise. They have a few benefits, though. Um, weight, I believe, is a huge benefit. And um, I actually was reading BMW's website about their front, the dual lever, and they said that actually is a weight has weight benefits. But I can only imagine that it's. I can't imagine what they would be unless that whole front fork is hollow. Like those dual levers, have got to be pretty hefty. Especially the dual lever; it's got yeah. two freaking cast aluminum ang- yeah, yeah. on it. Yeah, the tele lever is probably pretty light. It's maybe, probably close. Maybe that's a lot um, lighter. But the because there's not a, even the any oil. Well, like there's a mix. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I wouldn't worry about the weight of the oil being yeah. a weight factor. It actually, I think it does have oil in it though. But because that to me, like, it's like. 
water and something like you're you can't make the water lighter you yeah. could try to run less of it shit you know how much gas weighs yeah <laughs> gasoline weighs quite yeah. a bit well that's why like when you see a weight it's wet or dry yeah it's a lot and that should be oil and fuel yeah so these telescopic and water i believe actually if it's a water-cooled bike i think telescopic forks are just way simpler they're pretty simple they're pretty light and i i think honestly the main reason is cost yeah i mean that's Anything production like that, that's always a huge determining factor. And it it sounds stupid and I kind of think it is, but you know, if they spend like $5 more on the front suspension, it's going to cost you as a consumer like $500 more. Yeah. Um, And that's like one of the complaints everybody has is the suspensions on stuff from the factory is always like, they cheaped out on it. But dude, do you want to actually pay like another thousand bucks for them to put hardcore shit on it? Well, I know like that's where like KTM was doing well with dirt bike stuff was because their suspension was so much better from the factory and you didn't have to go drop a grand on it. You could just kind of adjust it and it was a lot better. It's still, if you wanted it set up for your weight, you were going to go drop a grand, but it was like, you know, anyone that bought a Honda or a Kawasaki or whatever that was riding off road mm-hmm. they took it in and got the suspension done right away yeah um, that's uh and and why do you think or why 1908 were they like groundbreaking that year or what like what was did people catch on right after that or it doesn't look like people caught on right after that huh. honestly with beamer not putting oil in it until 1935 and this just says and the danish nimbus used them from 1934 so it, it looked like you had what, 20 years there huh where because yeah when i think almost of, 30 years actually where where no one else used them yeah when i think of bikes from the, that era i think of greaves uh front ends and like leading link suspension well, and stuff i like a lot of people did not use and springers yeah like cantilevered springers a lot the of thing people i would think of them. too is uh at that time, especially 1908, but even in the 30s and 40s, you know, when I see like the the hand shift guys racing with us, the front ends that they use, and I don't remember the brand right now, how crappy they are. Like the machinery to drill out that piece of steel for the fork leg and the, you know, for the, the aluminum on the lower and the, the castings, that was a lot then. So, you know, honestly, then it might not have been very cost effective. It was probably a hell of a lot easier to take some steel bar and make a Springer. Yeah, that's so weird. But, and I think that's kind of the big thing now. Um, I'd say, obviously, compared to like the Springers and stuff, they do ride better. But compared to like the Duo Lever and the Hasek, they don't. But they're easy to manufacture. It's also, it might not just be the price of the forks. I mean, manufacturing of the frame. You fucking put a hole in it for two bearings and yeah, slide the forks in. Yeah. So, but yeah, it was interesting. I wanted to like kind of look up the year, you know, and it's crazy to look at old conventional style telescopic forks and inverted um, telescopic forks. And I mean, when you think of, especially like the inverted, like they hold oil in them upside down. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, also, they suck because when your fork seal blows, <laughs> there you go. You got oil all over your brake and yeah, all that um, great stuff. Where the conventional ones, they kind of hold the oil in better when they, that happens. Yeah, you can get you can get away with uh, you ride it a little longer, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so they. I mean, obviously, they work pretty good. Like motocross bikes have them. Um, that suspension is really good. Um, you know, sport bikes run them. And, you know, look at 
MotoGP bikes. Is there a rule that says they have to run telescopic forks? No, they just do for. I bet that one's weight. The because obviously with that they don't care about cost. Yeah, and the good Olins like that they run on super bikes. When you see the Olins that are fluted in the trees, those are like seventeen grand. Last I knew oh, and saw a price ten years ago. Yeah, kind you know, crazy. The crazy thing too is that telescopic doesn't necessarily mean oil damped or because some of the a couple about two years ago the craze in motocross was air forks so they're really versatile because it's just two cylinders with whatever you want to put inside of put oil in them i don't know i don't know because bicycles run a lot of air but that's not for the dampening that's for the spring yeah i I think was motocross spring dampening and or uh spring for it was i think they were oilless i think they were air uh air forks yeah, I think it was like air damped inside or something could, could like be. that. Yeah, and and it was. It, I don't think it caught on. I think people are going back because there was some problems with them. They didn't rebound as hard or something like that. Well, and you think too, like I know bicycles did it um, obviously to get rid of a steel spring. Yeah, if you can have an air spring in there, it's easy to adjust. You just hook up a little pump. Yeah, um, but air doesn't really weigh anything. Yeah, so. I think that's why motocross was going to it because they were that. trying to see like. Yeah. Where they're going to benefit from unsprung weight or whatever. I guess the forks are still technically, uh, uh, is that sprung? <laughs> I forget. So the lower part is unsprung, unsprung and the right. top part would be sprung. And the spring itself is kind of in the middle because it yeah. connects both the yeah, two yeah. sides. So I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know what the whole air fork thing was, but the, the, the fact is, is that you can mess with the insides all you can make them think about it you can you can have some like spamla and the i'm not even sure about the vfr here but they both have telescopic regular telescopic not inverted but i think one has damping that you can control and one just has like a set you know spring yeah. and damper so and it spamla's probably doesn't have much damp it's probably got a piston in there with some holes in it yep. you could put a little thicker oil in yep or um, drilled yeah but holes and the thing is, too, I remember like when I bought my FZ09, one of the big complaints was suspension, um, along with it didn't have a slipper clutch or ABS. But that was also a price point. Yeah. And honestly, that's, like, that's what I'm saying people buying a 250cc. They just want it to run. <laughs> yeah, they, don't, they want it to not be rigid, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. So, um, And the VFR is a little bit better because it, it – is a little bit more of a like you're gonna ride it a little bit more. Yeah, they got um, they definitely did like uh, some adjustments because it's yeah. a sport touring, so they kind of made it so you could do sport or touring. A lot of the new BMWs, the Ducatis, and the KTM's uh, have adjustments on the fly, and even the Goldwing and stuff. I'm talking about like sport and off road bikes though, but even the yeah. Goldwing big tours, even yeah, most of them and uh, the Versus. I want to say well, the, the Versus Goldwing has it. for a long time on the rear shock has had an electronic uh, preload adjust, mm-hmm. so you could basically tell it. Um, you could adjust the height, the ride mm-hmm. height, and you could tell it if you have one person or two yeah. people. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it knows if you have two people. Maybe not because if you had one fat dude yeah. and you put a bunch of stuff in his <laughs> saddlebags, it would think you have two. Yeah, people. yeah. But you can still adjust the preload and yeah. stuff too in the ride height. Yeah, BMW started that too, where you cycle through and you it shows one helmet or two helmets. So yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they've and they've started a lot of the companies. You they're started doing it. You can basically bust that out on the fly. Where I mean, even that's progressing as far as yeah. Um, and part of the reason BMW can do it and Goldwing can do it is because they have they don't have. 
um, telescopic forks. They have a strut that's electronically yeah. dampened via like a electronic stepper motor that hooks to the reservoir. And so that's one downfall of telescopic forks, except for the telelever forks. We'll get it. Maybe we'll, I, I want to well, do the, the telelever since we talked about it so much last the week. <laughs> rear shocks, they have like a sleeve that goes over the spring and you can hydraulically mm-hmm. kind of, it'll slide in and out a little bit. Yeah. Otherwise you got the old one where you got to use the spanner wrench to crank up the preload yeah. and it's like, you can jack it up to, uh, ape sit on this and it won't move it or you can soften it up to where if you like me and you don't weigh 500 pounds your springs will compress like that's one thing i think a lot of people struggle with is uh getting their suspension set up for them and uh uh, with the front suspension it almost seems a little harder because the rear you can it's easy to throw springs mess with the um you know mess with the preload but the fronts take a little bit more finesse because you're actually like holding up the bike and but that is one thing with um you know I think a lot of it too is most people including myself really have no idea what they're doing with suspension either. <laughs> yeah, it is like um, a black art like tire technology. Well, and a lot of times it's counterintuitive. So you you would think I don't know for flat track if it's a hard pack like smooth track I stiffen. Yeah, if it's slick I soften and you would think, okay, if I stiffen it, it would put more pressure on the tire and it would hook better. But I think it's actually backwards. It bounces it probably. Yeah, more. I always confuse myself. Yeah. When I'm at the track, I'll usually get it right. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes not. Yeah. A lot of the times, the rougher the road, the smoother you want the suspension, or else it's going to be bouncing. And so instead yeah. of soaking it up, and like if you watch a trophy truck, they float over flat ground because their suspension. So if they were if they were rigid, they'd just hit a bump and fly, you know. Like, but you also don't want the opposite, where it's so soft that it, you get like a pogoing. Yeah, effect. there you go, and you don't want it so soft that it, the rebound so that it doesn't come down when it should and keep your tire on the ground yeah. through a dip. Here, it's like hitting the top of the bumps or something. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a it's a whole. It is a I, I agree that it's a it's a it's a crazy black science. art, yeah. like carburation and tire technology. Have you ever seen like some of the dampening? previous to oils and telescopic forks like i saw one that was like two arms connected by this like round section with a wing nut and it just had like a fiber paper or something in the middle and you would like snug up the wing nut if you wanted more dampening or you could loosen it if you wanted it to move faster i you know what i've seen some old school technology but that is like like stuff like that the things people used to do that were so simple yeah to eat just a little bit of performance out of stuff uh-huh. it's crazy did speaking of it would be about this era too i think it was the 30s have you seen the video from troy courser at the uh goodwood festival of speed or the goodwood revival mm-hmm. sorry the festival of speeds when they run up the hill and the revival is where they're racing right uh-huh yeah He's on like a 1930-something BMW. BMW. I forget what it was. Not even telescoping front forks, I don't think. Yeah. And a rigid rear. It was like an R32 slash 5 or something. like. And he's like – he gets a bad start and he's in the back and he is just motoring through everyone on this. Yeah. Dude, like – He was down. Like he was down, dude. He wasn't fooling around. Crazy. I mean that – I mean – I'd hate to wonder how much that bike is worth. Yeah, and he's just well, dude. It. During the car, because I they had that they were live streaming that on YouTube. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 
And so I couldn't believe it because I flip it on and it's nighttime here. And I was like, this is day. It's like yeah. morning there, right? Like, this is great. It's actually live. And um, they wadded up a couple of those old cars. Like some of those old cars crashed. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it because they are actually from the 20s and 30s. These, I mean, yeah. they're from the eras that they have. Oh, they're not repops. They're uh-uh, not kit cars. Uh-uh. They're like they had a, stuff. They had a Ferrari GTO and a Shelby Daytona Coupe going at it. And the dudes were not playing friendly yeah they we're fucking mashing yeah. and the the shelby's like a 15 million dollar car and i think the ferrari gto is even more god dang although i'd rather have the shelby yeah they only oh, yeah. made six and they made them local to us yeah. here but i'm like dude there's like you know 30 40 50 million dollars worth of cars that are irreplaceable yeah the cars that I saw were um, formula cars, even from yeah. the '40s, where they look like cigars with wheels on them. Yeah, and, and they, those guys had be- had t- had hit, like crumpled the front end because yeah. he be- accidentally whapped the back end. Of the- I was like, or he hit the guy's tire, yeah. and so he had a big because those old tires were squ- like squared, you know. Yeah, and so, and, so he, he just is like the that book Go Dog Go, you know. So he just has like a big old fat square rock right in the middle of the air opening and i was yeah. like oh my god that's like the first like that's the most noticeable spot on this like yeah if you guys are bored when you hear this look up the goodwood revival i believe yeah it is insane they live streamed it on youtube and so i'm sure that's on their yeah. channel and you can just see the i was bummed i watched the the goodwood festival of speed and uh they they had the aft riders over this year oh yeah yeah and they skipped some of them they had like brad and someone and then but they skipped carver and i was kind of bummed but uh I mean, super rad. I didn't know. Carver was telling me, like, it's at some dude's house. Huh. The dude's like a duchess or some shit. Yeah, like yeah. That, I was going to say, it's so got to be like, huge. Yeah. That hill is pretty massive. Well, and he's just like, I mean, think of the money it takes to throw. Oh, yeah. And it's such a hodgepodge, like. Oh, you have to dress up. You definitely have yeah, to dress yeah, yeah. up. And and in those older races at the Goodwood uh, Festival Speed, um, you have to dress up in the era of the car when I don't you're, know. When you're uh, racing Troy it. Corser wasn't in era leathers. No, no, no. He wasn't. He was in... I think I think they allow the drivers to wear yeah, more modern gear. Definitely because the car... Because if the car catches yeah. on fire, I mean, you want modern stuff. But um, I know when the guys went to a... Uh, the guys and Shayna, they went to... They had like a dinner. Uh-huh. They were like full tux yeah, out. Yeah. Like full tuxes. Yeah. But it's kind of cool like to do that stuff too. And like it's crazy because you think of... Really, all those flat track dudes are fucking hillbillies <laughs> going to this fancy schmancy <laughs> Yeah, <event>. right? <laughs> like with all these like uber rich people. And it's crazy. Like I was watching videos of Carver's feed when they were there and they're like pushing the XR750 up to get ready. And there's like a Formula One car and a McLaren F1. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then like to, and then an XR750, yeah. which, you know, in its own right is a legendary race machine. But it's worth like fifteen grand or yeah. twenty grand or something. I mean, maybe a little more, but nothing like a you know James Hunt's F one car <laughs> yeah. or or a even McLaren like, F one yeah, GTR. Yeah. Like even just, like a uh, what's his face um, Dan Gurney in his like yeah. weird cars. They actually had a at the revival. They were racing the Gurney Eagle, yeah. the Westlake Eagle. Right. Um, and one of the guys that was there wrenching on it was one of Gurney's mechanics. Oh, no kidding. Day. Holy crap. So it's crazy the people that they get out for that event that's like those people know about those cars. Those people built those cars. Yeah. Those people like worked on those cars. Like it's crazy. 
uh, do the did the FTR have um, telescopic forks? <laughs> Does all do all flat trackers have telescopic forks? They do. I don't know why though, and this is what I'm going to say about that. So Jawas all run leading links. Uh-huh. They claim it works better. They went to telescopic forks and went back to leading links. Are you talking about Speedway specifically? Yeah. 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 Sorry, I say Jawa like Jawa did used to make a bunch of shit. Yeah, Jawa made some rad bikes. With- um, but the problem with the leading link is when you put a brake on it, when you squeeze the brake, it fucks with the front suspension, yeah, right? There you go. But Speedway bikes don't have a front brake, so they run a leading link. It's supposed to work real well, whatever. I don't know why flat trackers haven't tried it. Like, yeah, I mean, it seems like it would take wish away I had some time and money. I'd build one for my hooligan. Yeah, bike. it takes away a lot of the stuff that the, um, you know, the dual levers that we were talking about and the yeah. Goldwing front ends does. Like, I does think away one with. of the benefits of a leading link too is um, you can the way it's like the way the trees are, you can turn it really tight. Yeah, yeah. Because the speedway sense. bike turns almost. I mean, that front right. end goes like eighty-five degrees to the one, and bike. you would get zero lateral flex because the yeah way that's supported. You know, speaking of telescopic forks and these dampening forces and stuff like that, and brake dive, and how we were talking last week about how those other suspensions are designed away from that. I was reading about the VFR seven fifty F, which this was, and supposedly some. Bikes with telescopic forks have come up with, with unique ways to get around brake dive and all that sort of stuff. Some are unique and some are shitty, but yeah, it said this one ahead. has uh, pivoting brake calipers. And just the other day, I was down here looking at the brakes, going, "That's kind of a weird bracket that they're on the way it's set up." So I don't know if this one has it or not, or if it was the gen before this. That looks like a two piston. Um, the rotor is a floating rotor, but it looks like the caliper maybe floats too. That's what, yeah, that's today I was looking at it going, does this float? Cause it's on this weird, it has like a three mount thing, but only two of them are bolts. So I was like, maybe one does pull it forward, but I couldn't see huh. where it would rotate at. So I didn't get it. I'm just going to slam, I'm going to do a stop you later and see if I can look down and see what's <laughs> the, happening. <laughs> um, the 28, not 2018, sorry, the last gen Goldwing, the first gen 1800 had an anti dive that, uh, when you would squeeze the brakes, it would pressurize something in the forks. Yep. Um, but I was riding with my dad. We were in Arizona, and uh, we were getting through pretty good. I was on my CBR. He had a buddy that he used to road race with was on an R1, and he was on his 1800 wing. And he squeezed a b- bunch of front brake because we were hitting some pretty good canyons. And he hit like a hole in the road, a pothole or a bump or something, and it blew the fork seal because <laughs> it was pressurized because <laughs> it was pressurized right and it blew oil all over the front of the bike oh god like out it blew it so hard it hit the inside of the, yeah. the windscreen like it volcanoed out yeah it literally just went shot its load and shot oil <laughs> shot fork oil all looked like over you were everything and he like stops and pulls over and he's like it took him a minute to figure it out yeah oh, he's shit. like all of a sudden it just there's oil everywhere yeah he's like what the hell but I, I have a uh, – I mean for most people that was fine. I, but that's funny. It's like funny the things that can happen. I think this, the Super Blackbird, the CB1100 XX mm-hmm. had uh, – it looked like another master cylinder on front of the master cylinder. And yeah, when you would squeeze the brakes, it would rotate it forward and push it up. 
yeah. uh, push a cylinder up. And I always thought that went to the ABS. I thought that's how, that's how they did early ABS. Maybe. But now thinking about it, maybe that was the valve that then maybe it went up into the bridge and went into the forks there. Yeah, I remember that. It was a weird, like, um, the caliper would push that master cylinder mm-hmm. up. It was a weird one. Like, mm-hmm. you're. Your brake lever didn't have to do with it. Your uh-uh. caliper did. So the harder, the, yeah, the harder you were stopping, the more it would push up on that master. Yeah, and maybe that yeah. was one of the anti dive systems they're talking about. I always thought that was pushing. I was like, is that how they got the to push but, the fluid back wonder, to the ABS modulator or something? Like, I always wonder if it's really that bad because I know uh, on my old man's old wing, he had a company called Traction do the suspension, and they put like jigsaw internals in the front end. Um, so you get like rebound and dampening, and it's just a more race f- suspension. It's surprising the amount of Goldwing people that have that done. Huh. By the way, yeah, it's like it's a better rear shock, and it lifts the rear, and it lifts the front, and it puts a bunch of like dampening emulators in the front, and uh, it's like a full on fucking race suspension for your Goldwing. Yeah, that's and a lot rad. of Goldwing people buy it. Uh, there is, I mean, one of the great benefits that we're talking about, you know, being able to do all this stuff with the internals or the insides is that there's like GP one, I think is the name of the suspension company where you can buy these gold fork emulators and put them, they make them for, I, th- I think yeah. it goes by diameter. So, I mean, I could even get one for Spamla if I get the diameter cause it, I'm guarantee you there's a race bike back in the day that had that size forks. Yeah. So yeah, you just get the year of your bike and the, it'll tell you, and they make these crazy racing emulators that that allows you to put them in a s- old crappy fork like you have, but then start messing with the like oil flow rates or the damping mm-hmm. rates, or somehow it makes it like this crazy damper emulator. And yeah, you can you can hop up anything. So it's that's the one benefit you get a Hossack front end or like a Springer front end. What are you gonna do? Like get well, at least the Hossack front end yeah. uses a shock, so you can do that. I mean, you can have the shock rebuild or put a different shock in it. But Springer kind of, some of them have a little bit of a dampener dampener shock in them, but they're... Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to like change it to performance, there's not much, right? (laughs) Like have someone else bend your spring. But yeah, the telescopic fork, even my bicycle has them. My mountain bike has them. And I have a switch I can push so that they don't, it locks them so that you don't bounce when you're climbing. Because that's like... Uh, on a motorcycle, it's not a problem, but on a mountain bike, you start to bounce and you lose efficiency and it's hard to climb. So I mean, there's so many crazy valves and different sorts of things that you can do. Um, I have to say, you CB750 me again with this uh, <laughs> telescopic front fork. Um, I thought, you know, if we're going to talk suspension, let's get the most common one out of the way first, you know? Yeah, I know. Good, good on you. What did I go with last night? Oh, yeah. Or the last week, the craziest, one of the craziest ones. I mean, it didn't go like full John Britton, but it did go pretty crazy. I feel uh, like, did Britton run weird? Yeah, he did, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, Even own. the front didn't have telescopic forks. All right. Well, speaking of Goodwood Speed Festival, can uh, are we done with that one? You want to keep going? Sure. All right. Let's, uh... I think the craziest was the Elf. Yeah. The Elf Honda. Oh, listen... After you mentioned that last week, I looked him up, and I have to agree, it wasn't the ones I was thinking of. That whole Elf Honda, just the whole entire thing was, yeah. I don't even think there was a frame in the motorcycle. Everything I think, is attached to the motor? Yeah, the, it was the motor and everything else. 
from exhaust. I think you sat on the exhaust. I think the exhaust was the backbone. It's a weird, oh crazy bike. We'll have to do a show on that. But um, speaking of the Goodwood Festival and that BMW that was racing, my suspension for this week is the plunger style suspension. It's not really, I mean, it's hardly even a suspension. It's a, fr- it's like a plunger frame really that the, uh, the wheel goes into. And this is a rear suspension. I figured, you know, I figured it's easy to go through front suspensions. Um, there's been a ton of them and, and people try all sorts of stuff at the front and they don't try that much stuff with the rear. So I thought until today, uh, well, until I actually started to research this and I was like, damn, there's less stuff on plungers than I thought. You know, I was trying to figure out, uh, there's all these old motorcycles happen. Like they didn't really even use mono shocks or twin shocks until like the mid sixties or something like that. A lot of fifties and sixties stuff still had plungers on it. Plungers are, that's like where just kind of the rear axle moves like yeah. vertical, right? So I found this um, Worcester. Oh, no, I'm saying that wrong because this is England. It's the Worcester probably or Wor- Worcester. It's probably Worcester. Oh, that's my favorite like steak sauce. Worcester, uh-huh. yeah. If it's Worcester, I'm going to punch myself in the face. I think it's Worcester or Worcester Polytechnic Institute. And uh, and if this is in Maine, they're gonna, really going to kill me because it's definitely worse Worcester there. But I think this is in, in England. But I found this crazy research paper that this polytechnic group had done. But a bunch of engineers at Worcester, Worcester Polytechnic did. And um, I started reading their thing. And apparently they've come up with an invention that is crazy. And they show the evolution of rear suspensions from rigid to their invention. So obviously I didn't get to read this whole, uh, manifesto. It's a huge technical paper that they did for college. So I, I'm actually going to read through it cause it, it piqued my interest, but at least I got a good, they have some, uh, plunger designs in there and I was like, good, good. They have them in here. So the plunger, yeah, basically like Wiggins said, it's a, it's more of a frame because you're, uh, there was no shock absorbers, and up until the like thirties, um, people really didn't use. Uh, they they put springs in the seat because they didn't really know. Uh, motorcycles are based off bicycles, which have rigid frames and um, or you know rigid rear ends, and so they were based on that for so long that people were like springing the seats. Um, when they finally did start springing the rear ends, they were. trying to do like a rear end springer you know what i'm saying like the front end they would try to replicate that in a weird way um but then a lot of people started using plunger rear ends and i know that um norton's and bsa's used them i know bmw is probably that one that was at the goodwood used it um uh adler aerials indians used these Uh, indian went indian went to the rear suspension in the early twenties, I think I have, a, I wrote down that on my article and I thought that was interesting because they were one of the first companies to put a rear suspension on a bike. It's kind of interesting the way it's done. Like basically the wheel dropout slides in the frame and they <laughs> just put a spring on it. Yeah. And, and like I said, this, according to their research article, this went into the fifties and you're thinking like the CB 750 was like started to get, get designed in the sixties. So, I mean, they're moving they used some old crappy stuff for a long time until the 60s, you know what I'm saying? And uh, if you well, look I mean, at... You know, the late 30s and most of the 40s were kind of uh, a throwaway years as far as yeah. advancements in motorcycle Well, technology. you had the wars and all yeah. that stuff, yeah. And a lo- I thought that was outside. Oh, a lot I of stuff... A lot of stuff is... Uh, 
was put on hold and, and yeah. hardly developed and, and rigid was fine. You know what I'm saying? You had that big springer seat, so it didn't really matter. But, um, yeah, I remember the Indian was the one, uh, the first American company to have a rear suspension. I believe BMW was using these and the plungers basically all they are is on the back of the frame. You've got this, uh, little weird bar and then you, it's like you slide a spring on one top of it, slide a spring on the bottom of it. And then in the middle you have your, uh, axle carrier let's call it and what it does is it makes it cheap and that's why people used it for so long because you can you don't have to modify your frame you don't have to figure out new suspension you don't have to you can have a bike one year that doesn't have a rear suspension and just weld this contraption onto the back and then the next year your bike has a rear suspension you know what i'm saying yeah so because they they basically would just would weld on the little back cage part and then yeah, like Wiggins was saying, the axle floats in between two spring plungers, and that's why they would call them plungers. The problem with this is that, as you can imagine, I'm, and it's so funny to think about telescopic forks. They must do this on the microscopic level, but not as much because you have a tube going way down inside of another tube. And so you can't really have one side go up higher than the other too much. I mean, it might happen on like a microscopic level, but not like your wheel can't go up like this. But with the plunger... I mean, really, that's why there's fork braces, and that's why front axles are so much bigger, is you can have that. Yeah. But you're right, only a minute amount. Yeah, but... it's not like a Nikon, where like one side of your tire is, <laughs> it can go up. I wonder if Nikons can go really high up, but uh, but on the, the plunger rear end, since it was really just springs kind of hanging out over a bar, you could have that. So you're your rear tire could kind of turn sideways in the in the rear swing arm. You know what I'm saying? Because one spring could compress depending on the bump type of bump you went over. Say the bump was you hit a rock with more of your right side than your left, it could kind of turn the bike. Or if you're going through turns, actually, is another way to look at it. And all your weight is on the inside, and gravity is or you know force is pushing toward the outside. Your tire could kind of bend, leaning over further causing your rear end to kind of turn faster than the front end at that point. Like if you're if you're leaning over in a turn, oops, if you're leaning over in a turn and your rear tire starts to, you know what I mean, you're leaning over so all the force is pushing this is compressing the outside spring, like it could kind of turn your tire in your back end. However, um the reason people started using these is because BSAs, Nortons and uh, BMWs started to get incredible race results back in the 30s. Um, right about the time that probably people started using telescopic forks, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're they're figuring out that these rigid front ends that were carrying over from like the 30s and, and, and stuff, 20s and 30s, weren't really where it's at. So you needed some damping. And the springs, I mean, were good for rider. The rider was protected if you put springs in the seats, but handling didn't improve at all. So then they're like, well, we need to spring these suspensions, obviously. Um, and it was a little bit better, but one major problem, and I can show Wiggins here because I have a drawn example, is that your chain would get extremely tight uh, because yeah. plungers only go up or down. And if you, like a modern day swing arm, pivots around the swing arm pivot, and it's almost like if you took a compass and drew a circle. So you want your chain to stay, or your rear uh, sprocket to stay within that arc. And that's, that's why a lot of better engineered bikes, the swing arm pivot is as close to the counter shaft sprocket as possible. That's Yeah. yeah. And that's a whole nother thing that creates like this. Uh, some of them actually, I've read that there was a bike that actually had, was it Buell? Did Buell have the front sprocket was the swing arm pivot? 
the sprint no but it's real close yeah uh i think there was some there's some designer out there maybe it was britain that used the the swing arm pivot was the like a some sort of sprocket bowl. I mean, that doesn't really make sense. The hard the part sprocket is, would you'd have, have to, to turn drive the, the sprocket yeah. somehow. So you'd have to have some kind of gear that yeah. would drive the sprocket too. Yeah, I mean, maybe, you could get them to overlap. Yeah, but um, or maybe the yeah, maybe there was a, it was on bearings. The swing arm pivot had <laughs> gears. I have no idea, but there was somebody that put them super close or something yeah. like that. The Buell's pretty close. Yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking of as a Buell. Yeah, and uh, and these these ones, you're literally. If you look on an arc, this straight up and down line is kind of going backwards from the travel of the thing. Yeah. So you, whether if you're you could tilt those forward a little bit and help it, but all of them I've ever seen were totally vertical. Yeah, that's the, the problem. Is that every single one I've seen was totally vertical? And the pro reason, tip, by the way, uh-huh. um, what does Emma call it? She this is hers a pro tip. I'm going to call it a pro tip too. Um, when you are adjusting your chain on a motorcycle, you always want to put weight on the rear seat because. Most motorcycles, when you hit a bump or put weight on the seat, the chain is going to tighten. And the last thing you want to do is shred your uh, counter shaft bearing. Yeah. Because uh, that's a pain in the ass to yeah. change. So don't like, you're like, oh, look, I have a half inch of adjustment. Well, that's good. And on a lot of bikes, it'll tell you a half inch of adjust or a half inch of play is great. Um, if you jacked your suspension up or lowered your suspension, throw that shit away. Yeah. <laughs> Put a bunch of weight on it and you still want a little yeah. bit of play. I actually listened to a podcast that this guy that used to do, he's still, he's still in existence, but his podcast isn't, but he's a race engineer and he builds suspensions for a living. That's what his business is. And he said, you know, like they always tell you exactly what you said to co- the lawyers at the factory want you to cover your butt and they'll tell you these specs. But he's like, here, like we know what's going to happen. We, he's like, the best thing to do would be to take your rear shock off and let your swing arm go up as high as it can in the travel of the frame and then set your, uh, or, you know, whatever, do your thing so that he's like, and then when you have it back down, it's, of course it's going to look loose and flappy as shit. Like when someone looks at it, but under racing conditions and like, he's like, if you look at Isle of Man and stuff where they're jumping and stuff, yeah, you could snap a chain like, uh, well, or you'll, you'll bind up your suspension, which never is good. Yeah. Um, or, even worse, I think, than snapping a chain is that you'll trash the bearings because yeah. you'll pull on that counter shaft so hard in a way that it's not meant to be pulled on. I mean, you put a lot of force on them, but yeah. um, you know, you don't want to rip any of that stuff. That's what that's what I always thought too. And in and the Yamaha for Spamala, because everything every bike I've had was always like, yeah, don't do it. Like check sag, like check yeah yeah check uh, suspension sag and chain at the. You know, make sure you have the right amount of free play with weight on the bike. And if you're if you're running stock suspension, you might be fine with what they call out for a, how much slop you need or how much play you need. Um, unlike my Sportster, because I run fourteen and three quarter inch shocks on what came with twelves, um, my swing arm is at an extremely odd angle from stock, so it amplifies how much that chain tightens up yeah so i um if you see me at the track adjusting my chain i will lay over my rear fender with all my weight and i will grab my swing arm and i will pull up towards my chest and try to compress the rear suspension as much as possible that makes so much sense right that makes a lot of sense i can't breathe when i do it i always like (laughs) i get off and i get all dizzy and 
That's kind of fun. Because <laughs> you're leaning over. All the blood's going animals. to your head. Yeah, and, all the blood's going to my and head. And you're holding your breath. I'm on my stomach, so I'm holding my breath because I'm like, and I'm pulling this thing up and I go, <gasps> yeah. and I check it and I'm like, okay, that's good. Yeah, so this this plunger style did all the wrong stuff because it, whether you're, you know, it, it rode right in the middle and then if you went over a bump and your wheel went down or you went over a bump and your wheel went up, uh, either way, you're binding your chain, taking off the forces of the chain could tweak the because it kind of moved. This design isn't I mean, rigid in there, so it kind of you know, had a lot of movement. Look, yeah, I actually think the axle is all that held them from like those yeah. things will pivot back. Yeah, and yeah, forth. yeah. That was all. So that the axle is all that really locked it in. And think, um, you know, shit. Up until two thousand something, Harley's ran three quarter rear axles, and at least still the Sportster. I mean, you would think a swing arm's a little bit stiffer than that setup. Yeah, you know, and it's funny you said like they did all the wrong things, but in the 30s they did all the right things because there was no other suspension coming. yeah yeah and and uh, people were experimenting with uh, no actually bsa had a monoshock on their um 1930s like isle of man and the continental gp bikes or something mm-hmm. but that was they had to build then they had to figure out a swinging pivot a swing you know what i'm saying yeah. like a pivot point and they had to figure out where to mount it and they mounted it they did a hoop and mounted it on the top like some um, yeah. modern day motorcycles have like well not did anyone super modern on a bike that you know of ever do a pivotless rear suspension? So mm. I don't know about motorcycle wise, but I I think I've seen I know I've seen them on like shitty fucking um affliction wearing choppers, <laughs> um where they'll use like a car leaf spring for the chain stays and then you don't uh, need a pivot. Um, a bicycle company, Cannondale, used to do it. They quit now. I think they went to a pivot on this model. But like we talked about on bicycles earlier, like bicycles, they try weight is huge and suspicion, suspension efficiency is huge because anything that contributes to rider fatigue makes you slower. So um, they had a some their chain stays on their bicycle. They used to flatten them. And they were carbon fiber on an aluminum frame. It was just carbon fiber there, and there was no pivot. Yeah. So what that benefits is, as long as it's stiff enough, I mean, you wouldn't want them to kind of flex separately. But um, the whole frame becomes the rear suspension. Then at that point, right? On that one, the way they did it, just the chain stays, and right. it still had a shock. I mean, there were oh, also. Okay, okay. Um, but the whole the frame would flex though, and the shock would take up the. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. They also had. Um, other companies did a pivotless rear suspension. They called them a soft tail um, for mountain bikes. And they were like basically – and this type of bicycle was around for two or three years. It's actually a really good idea for certain parts of the country. Like um, when I was young in Indiana and racing bicycles a lot, I rode a hardtail mountain bike. And this was right when full suspension mountain bikes were like really improving. Like they had them and um, – but they sucked, <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden, people figured out all this linkage that made them so much better, blah, blah, blah. In the Midwest, the hardtail is actually still really good because of the dirt and the way the trails are. In uh, California, they suck. Yeah. In Colorado, I've wanted them for suck. climbs to climb Brown Mountain. I almost gagged and passed out the first few times I attempted that. And 
it all, but coming down, yeah, for sure. Well, like, and it, actually, even a lot of the pro riders did some testing, and uh, like one of the pros for Trek when they came out with this new suspension design improved his own record on his own personal trail in his backyard by like thirty seconds or something, or with a minute tail? with a full suspension. Oh wow, it's a rider fatigue thing and the bumps and all that. But uh, yeah, so anyway, they had some bicycles that were pivotless. Soft tails were like this middle thing. So instead of like three or four inches of rear suspension travel, it was like half an inch or an inch. So they'd put a shock in like up in the seat stay and then no. So it was just uh, a little bit of suspension. Right. Um, and then Cannondale just, did Just it enough a, so that you aren't jarred like yeah, on the just, littlest of right, bumps. Right. Yeah. And then yeah, Cannondale actually did it on a full suspension bike that had like two or three inches of travel. Um, and it was their cross country bike. They call it the scalpel. They still got that bike, but they've they've put a pivot in since. Yeah, but, dude, it's funny. My mountain bike has disc brakes and like a full cantilevered Fox, you know, <laughs> suspension. Yeah. A crazy. I think the front fork's Manitou, but it's like it's a Nixon. It's got like the airlock, like I was yeah. telling you. And Spamla has dual drum brakes and the crappy, <laughs> you know, the one of, right next to the plunger, like the most rudimentary rear suspension we could think of. And it's funny that all this stuff has started out on i mean people were riding 100 miles an hour on this stuff you know yeah and nowadays like you wouldn't dare go out on your bike unless it had like disc brakes you know what i'm yeah. saying like it's yeah. so funny and it's funny how this stuff started know, speedway bikes they still do almost well like yeah there you go yeah that's true and there's no brake sources but that's a groom track too <laughs> yeah let's take your speedway up el prieto and see <laughs> that'd be fun uh, it's downhill we'll you just use that like how many? How many? How many? Uh, how far do you think you can get on that like half gallon tank? I don't even think it's a half gallon on that three quarter, third yeah, of a gallon tank. Um, we'd be lucky to make it to the trailhead. Yeah, because then no, it's all like, downhill. When you're idling, it's not bad. Good, just idle up the hill if you could. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I mean we're talking. You know, nowadays people do stuff like that purpose built. But I mean, back in the day, yeah, like they would have begged for what I have on my mountain bike. You well, know? again. Going back to that uh, Troy Corser, when you watch that video, and I highly recommend I saw it pop up again today on some feed, but I highly recommend it. You can see the bike chattering in the corner, oh, yeah, and sure. you can see the tires doing all the suspension work. Yeah. Um, that one they said was rigid on the rear. I don't remember if it had the plungers or if it was rigid. It had a. They kind of said it was rigid, rigid, but the front had some shitty, shitty. Um, like Springer setup, yeah. Even BMWs uh, weren't famous for their. Yeah. Uh, but when you see him like on the brakes and um, like he leans off the bike, it's crazy. But you just see it like the whole bike just bouncing into a corner when he's on the brakes super hard. Yeah, here's a '51 BMW that I have a picture of. That one has the plungers, and it's got plungers, and it's yeah. got you know standard front but i mean this is 51 i mean we're talking yeah you we, uh, you would think back that in the 50s like a lot of stuff i think they had cruise control in the 50s on cars right didn't they have electronic cruise i mean it was mechanical but it was electronically operated i don't know my I, car's a 46 and it doesn't have much yeah but, but dude, it's still i mean the suspension and stuff is way ahead of bikes yeah oh yeah i just feel like too they're not motorcycles in general at least in the states, are more of a purist item. Like back to the FZ09, not having very good suspension, not having um, more so, not having ABS, not having traction control, not having a slipper clutch. 
because it was one, it was the price point that everyone wanted. I mean, it was fucking eight grand out the door or something, yeah. nine grand out the door. <laughs> um, but honestly, if you ride a motorcycle, do you want all that? Like, do you want the bike doing, I mean, if you're commuting every day on it, rad, that's cool. But you know, a lot of people that ride motorcycles, we ride motorcycles because we want that mechanical thing. You know what I mean? Like we don't want it to do everything for us. Um, I definitely, I mean, this, this, this thing was riding around on roads that were way worse than the ones we have now. I definitely wouldn't want to even ride this today, but I would, you know, I don't also want the most Wango Tango, you yeah. know, electronically do everything for you, front suspension or rear suspension that they have that that are actually available or coming out on bikes nowadays. So yeah, we're probably gonna see a lot of that in the marketing <laughs> this weekend. But uh yeah, I definitely like I mean, I'd ride this, but I'd, I'd know I was paying the price. And you're probably going to go through a chain every, you know. Yeah, I mean, now the months. whole reason to ride it is because you got a bike from the 50s, and that's just fucking cool. Yeah. Well, dude, but even in the 30s and 40s, like that shit was cutting edge. Yeah. Well, and pr- for for price point, you didn't like I'm saying you didn't you could add this to your existing yeah. frames because yeah, they all you, could. you just needed to throw a hoop on there. Everything could all of a sudden have a rear suspension mm-hmm. at a price point. And that was the big, from what I read, that was the biggest thing was like, hey, I don't have to spend like money on R&D. I can throw this thing on the end of our existing bikes and Uh all of a sudden we're like luxury, you know, for the time, you know, but. And a lot of times a half inch and inch suspension is really fine. Yeah. It's going to take that fine vibration. It's going to take those like potholes and stuff like that. And the roads were so shitty in the thirties and forties that. You know, I mean, think of how many of the roads were still all gravel. Yeah, this is going to blow your mind. Here's a 1928 Vincent with the uh, monoshock. Wow, on a swinging arm. Too. Yeah, on a swing arm. So the people were smart, were doing it, but this is a race bike too, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, plungers, people had all sorts of weird, weird cool stuff, um, you know, that they had already got into production. Here's another BSA monoshock. Uh, from the fifties or something, or forties. Oh, 40s. the top pictures dual in the bottoms. Yeah, the top the ones drawing of the mono. The Norton is on top. They're, yeah, they're using rear. Like, uh, they're kind of showing you that they didn't use plungers, mm. but the the BSA here on the bottom. I don't know what year this is from, but um, let me see. Oh, in 1952. So in 52, they already had some pretty rad rear suspension mono stuff going on getting away from plungers and stuff it was a total price point thing you know yeah. so but um it really it's kind of interesting uh, no i would have never have guessed 1908 for front suspension actually because I, I was looking at the <coughs> stuff today and I, all the bikes that i've ever seen in museums and stuff they're just it's like rigid or leaf spring <laughs> well it sounds like <laughs> it so was rad one company yeah and it never caught on for another 20 years yeah i know that's plunger like obviously if they had that in 28 and plungers didn't catch on until the 50s like or yeah i mean regular stuff didn't catch on until like the 50s or 60s yeah like what's wrong with this why do why do we wait so long is <laughs> i think some of it's the manufacturing technology and the cost and the yeah you know i was just thinking about the, that today listening to i listened to front end chatter really good really good points on that show and i was thinking about how uh they come from also a writer standpoint and they're pro- they are both journalists so they know the inside out of journalism but at the same time i always think of stuff from a manufacturer's point of view 
And all this stuff that we want and like say we want, although we don't get it, comes at that price point. And that yeah. that FC7 is a perfect example yeah. because do you need it? Right. And if you do want to make it uh, available, what's it going to cost? What's it going to cost the customer? Because the customers are looking at that, you know? It's funny. You know, back to just the Indian and seeing like everyone when that FTR uh, twelve hundred concept came out. Oh, I'll buy it! I'll buy it! Put me on the list! I'll buy it! I'll buy it! And I'm like, motherfucker, You're you got you it. ain't got more than three grand to go buy a motorcycle <laughs> yeah. with. You know, you were not buying. And then what they would have done if that's what Indian would have came out with, it was going to be thirty grand or something, and they all would have been like, oh my god, that's too much. Yeah, and it's like, are you really that dumb? You know, and then when it did come out, they're like, "Well, that's not what I was expecting." I wanted. And it's like I want to tell. No, they hit front a, They hit a fifteen thousand dollars price point. Yeah. If you're not smart enough to expect what they released, then you're probably not smart enough to ride a motorcycle. Like you should just chill and stop. The, it's this is going to blow your mind. But um, speaking of weird suspensions, and we should probably wrap our challenge because I think we've. I think uh that's pretty well the show. Let us know let us know who won, but uh I think uh if you guys vote Wiggins, I'm going to be sad. <laughs> but uh um yeah, we'll play some outro music for our challenge. So that was our suspension challenge, but uh speaking of hitting these $15,000 price points, uh Slay J had commented uh something on the W800 that Kawasaki's going to be coming out with. We're going to we're going to see that one for sure. They'll have that. They released that at ICMA, but they'll have that at IMS. Mm, Got to get down to this jam real quick. And laser beams. All right, everybody, check this out. I am going to call. Uh, well, the the challenge is over. We're going to come into the next segment here, but I do want to point out a couple things. This week, Wiggins has lost, unfortunately, not only because he pulled a challenge out of the helmet, but he didn't cheap once during his segment, and he also called that Duke, whoever runs the uh, the Goodwood Revival, uh, he called him a duchess. So uh, double lose on Wiggs, and let's get into the next segment. She was saying about something about how are all these wire all these bikes expensive or like did bike prices go up? That's what it was like, damn, how are all these new bikes so expensive? And the thing is, is that, uh, some of the stuff that we're talking about, you have, if, if you add on something cool to a bike, you got to trust that that costs more. And also you think about the global economy with all the tariff shit happening right now, like stuff is just going to cost more. Like there's no way getting around. Like Chris said, one company owns uh, all the titanium in the world. Like, how are you not? I know you didn't, not literally, but you know, speaking figuratively, if one company owns like a lot of the uh, goods to make that product or a lot of the materials and they're getting tariffed or anything like that, you know, or they're passing it down along the line, um, stuff like suspensions, all this, all this stuff that adds every little thing, every little advancement adds, uh, value but at the same time you look at bikes today like the wing and like uh shit just let's say like the cbrs or something like that and you go back 10 years or even 15 years like the further back you go from this year the crappier it is and um some of these old like you were saying some people are like purists and they want you know riding that shit's cool nowadays but you also revive an old bike and get it out and do today's speeds and stuff with it, you're asking to die. Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, I'm lucky that Spamla's brakes are as good as they are. 
and not one. I think the only reason less. Spamalas brakes are good is because her motor is not. Yeah, so exactly. The, like the I, brakes stop as well as the motor goes. Listen, if I could get up, I mean, I've got close to a hundred before, but I had a good tailwind and I was going downhill. But dude, if I had to do a panic stop from there, I'd need a good five and a half miles to stop. <laughs> so yeah, like that's the thing. You can't. These new bikes that are coming out are expensive, but they do the job for what the i mean motors are getting bigger it's crazy um, like speeds getting faster you get in a car from the 70s or 80s and you're like oh shit yeah you realize what you're totally different <laughs> you know i rode um brady walker's uh what's he have it's a jigs or 750 G- right jigs or 750 right all race prepped you know ready to go all glass 87 carved to, ran like a fucking top dude ran great Tons of power, more power than I expected for a bike that old. Um, he said he bought it. It was like a just drag bike. It just had extensions in the swing arm, so he just shorted wow. it back up. But yeah. um, the feeling that I got was that it felt very mechanical to ride. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, this is from a guy that's had a Harley on a track, a Buell XB, uh, my Ducati's old, and that thing still felt mechanical. Like just the way the motor revved. I could tell it was carbureted Yeah. where I think the Harleys, the fuel injection on the Harleys doesn't change them enough like the carb, but like the four carbs on that thing revving that hard, it just felt so mechanical. Yeah. But it was cool and it made you appreciate kind of newer stuff. And, you know, I think that that is kind of the beginning of like sport bikes where you could go buy a pretty decent bike and, they all still had 17-inch wheels, so you can get decent suspension stuff put in them, and then you can put modern tires on them. Yeah, and the thing handles pretty good, yeah. and the brakes were big. You know, uh, they were obviously today's brakes and suspension is better, but for most of us at the track, it's not. Yeah, and then when you look at like flat track, <laughs> fuck the XR 750s dominated for. Th- 40 years or something. Basically right? the same bike. I mean, yeah, basically, and it's. I don't know. So for most riders, you know, dirt track's different and that's at a pro level. But for most riders like me on Brady's bike, I would be just as fast on that as I would be a modern bike, really. I mean, because I'm not at the level where that technology benefits me. Yeah. And that's 1987 technology. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm sure I could ride... It, it it almost I feel like it almost be harder for people to go back and ride some of these vintage bikes. Like you don't realize how good you have it when uh, when you get out there and yeah you turn wrong and all of a sudden wait nothing feels right. You know the not even the carbs run right when you uh, lean over too far or something weird like that. You know what I'm saying like all this weird stuff that vintage bikes uh, take away. It's like getting in a 60s car with no power steering and no power brakes and you're like like the first time i ever drove a volkswagen beetle uh i was like what am i doing like i, I can't believe i just sold my car and bought this thing like it felt like uh the you know brakes were made of wood because it was four drum brakes and there was no power anything you know i my arm i swear i bulked up when i started driving that thing because my arms you, there was no power steering you had to you know so you forget how good you have it uh with all this new stuff that comes out and when you think about everything that's on new bikes the prices aren't terribly bad you know but i think people don't realize how much better just some simple stuff is like um my Plymouth has drum brakes, and honestly, it's kind of like Spamela. It 
that thing does 60 mile an hour, like topped out, man. <laughs> Fucking top. Or, so it's three times as fast as spam. Yeah. But, um, the, it stops just fine. Yeah. Like the brakes plenty to stop the car unless I had someone like kind of pull over in front of me and then try to turn. Oh, so yeah. I kind of hammered the brakes Yeah, and it locked up one wheel. Yep. That happened to me and my bug once too. So <laughs> Somebody you definitely have that. Like the bias isn't as good and you hit it and one kind of grabs and the other three really didn't. I had to like off and kind of ease back on it to get the car to slow down. Yeah. I also, I also don't think it was until the, cause my bug had to have it. So I think it was a ride around 69 or 70, maybe the 60s and 70s, when they required a fail safe so that if one wheel cylinder goes, your whole brake system doesn't go. So on your Plymouth, it's very likely that if one goes, you're done. You know what I mean? No more brakes. I wonder if I can add that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. All those old ass brake lines. That yeah. That's sketchy. Yeah. And, the, cause the, and that always scares me. Yeah. I mean, that's how people used to go back then. And, and, and the fact that there's no collapsible steering column. And uh, all that great stuff. Oh, no airbags. No airbags. No, nothing. Metal dash. Oh, dude. Nice. That, that yeah. used to cut a lot of legs off when people get in front of collisions. Yeah. Hey, I don't want to bet. I don't. I know you're not going to crash, so I'm not worried about well, it. The, but, I uh, mean, <laughs> the thing is now because it's it's such an old car. Like you don't, you just don't drive it in a hurry. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you just you chill. But people do. Not very often do people really like pull in front of me or anything. So people are like super respectful of it. I think they all think it's worth like a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, or no, something. that's a, that's what the um, nice thing about having an old older car like that. The shitty thing is it breaks down all the time. The cool thing is when it does break down, people are friendly about it. Yeah, they're like, oh, it's well, just- it's a Mopar too, so you know the freaks crawl out of the woodwork <laughs> to come check it out. Oh wait, what is? Yeah, that? I used to I used to have a Mopar. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Well, hey, I don't know what time it is. Um, it's about that time. It's for about sure. that time. We got to get to IMS. So, well, we're at IMS right now. So this is a little awkward that we've been doing this <laughs> podcast. Uh, I think they want this booth space back, but they might. They got to put some real some bikes in for sure. They're trying to run us over. But anyway, uh, next week, uh, I figured with ICMA having just wrapped and IMS just about to uh, hit us, we'll be able to sit on some of the bikes if they make it through customs and give you not just hey look did you see what they did there we'll be able to say dude we looked at that we sat on that we farted on that uh makes a weird noise when you fart on this particular seat blah 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 and tell you more about this stuff so hang out for that next week um wiggins real quick uh before you go let me pause this and then we need to pick some patreon winners real fast for uh some extras all right all right so if, if you heard that sound effect, that Are was Are we still Wiggins. recording the whole time? Uh, no. I, oh. We're recording now. Okay. So we're going to pick. I have... Uh, I was like, man, what did I say when I thought we weren't recording? <laughs> <laughs> we talked all sorts of inside shit. Uh-huh. I think I've got two bags uh, that, I'm, that I've got left that I'm going to uh, send out to some guys with a little zombie painting on them. We're going to use random.org, which Wiggins just turned me on to, which is... Uh, God, my whole, my, this whole episode, I haven't been talking into the mic very good. I... I apologize that I sound so good now, but uh, I'm going to do two. The first one is number four, which is one, two, three, four. Jerry, uh, our patron Jerry, if you're listening, you have a bag coming your way. And number one, which is Chad Clink. Chad Clink, you have a, uh, a bag coming your way. And Jerry, you have a bag coming your way. Uh, Wiggins, 
I know we're going to throw some best of stuff in here, but you got any cool sign-offs? Uh, not really. Oh, man. All right. Me neither. That's your sign-off. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we got to get back to IMS here. They're wondering what the hell these two hobos are doing over in the corner. But did you hear what I did there? The last couple weeks, I've let Wings finish his sign-off. And he, after I stopped the recorder, he said, you know what? Throw me for a loop. You never used to uh, used to cut me off right in the middle of my sign-offs, and that's because I don't think he's going to listen this far. So I think we're safe here. But I am going. I'm waiting. I'm biting my. I'm playing the long game. I'm going to wait till he comes up with a really good sign-off. And I've been baiting him along these last few times, keeping his little oh nope, but don't got nothing. And as soon as he comes up with a real good one, wham! I'm going to cut him off right in the middle of it. So I can't wait. Uh, if it happens by April first, it'll be my little prank. But uh, that's a really long game. Hopefully, it'll, hopefully he'll step up within the next few episodes. But I don't want. I hope he doesn't hear this. But anyway, we're get, we're going to get back to IMS. So that means I've got to throw it back to a uh, a blast from the past. Now this time of year. A few years ago, I used to watch uh, bike exploitation films, which uh, I don't recommend you doing. I almost went clinically and criminally insane from watching them. They're so terrible. I mean, they're awful. And uh, but they are, you know, they are funny if you uh, are into BDSM and and uh, <laughs> torturing your own mind. Uh, if you think if you think pain's funny, if you're a masochist, then you probably love this or a sadist, whatever. But um, yeah, I just I couldn't take it anymore. Some of them are are that bad, really that bad. So uh, anyway, here is my review of one, and I'm just gonna jump in here. This uh, comes, I forget what episode this is from. It's it's uh, in the uh, double digits, so not quite up yet to uh, 100. This one's probably coming to us uh, from 2016. Here we go. I've gone on for a fucking long time, so I'm going to wrap it up here. We're going to get to a movie review before this day is done, my friends. So let's let's get off of this, like, what started out with CITS and blown up into fucking... Terminator 3 and uh, move on to something more meaningful for this day and age, which is uh, actually going back about 40 years, uh, ironically enough. All right, here's our movie review. All righty, everybody. Welcome to 1974, Northville, Michigan. Yeah, this is Northville Cemetery Massacre. I was first introduced to this film... Back in episode three, Meat Horse versus Iron Horse, when I posed the question, do you like the term biker? Would you like to be called a biker? And then I went on to name a few of the bike exploitation films, let's call them, of the 60s and 70s. I would say that after doing these reviews now for a few episodes, that the 70s was a heyday for exploitation films. So for me, sometimes it's hard to figure out, is this supposed to be a, a bike exploitation film? Is this supposed to be a serious film? And after reading some of the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes for Northville Cemetery Massacre, I have to say, some people uh, think of this film as a credible vehicle for like some social commentary against freedom. I have to tell you that I think this is a campy piece of crap. Every every freaking movie with bikers in it is either versus the man or versus, you know, society. And I guess that's like what being a biker kind of originated from. But it's it's one of those things that gets lost in translation when you try to show it on in, in a film that's not a documentary. And even documentaries take a, a specific point of view. So when you try to make something like this that... 
has terrible production value and like little to no plot. Well, let me back up on that. It's got a plot, but they really uh, get from point A to point B quite, uh, I would say creatively. <laughs> so basically, let's run down the, the synopsis of this movie. I'm going to follow Chris Duarte's, uh advice and just kind of get to it. So, uh, biker gang rolls through town. The first scene is them helping out this old couple. And at first you see this old couple like scared by all these bikers approaching and they mob the old couple's car. And it's kind of like from the old couple's point of view, they see all these bikers surrounding their car that has a flat tire. Well, the next thing you know, the bikers are fixing the tire and they're on their way. So, I mean, right off the bat, you kind of get the the feeling that this film is going to not be anti-biker. This film is going to be anti-man, anti-society. So as the film rolls on, that's exactly what happens. Maybe you want to watch this for yourself and it would take me 20 minutes to explain how crappy this thing really is. So I'll just give you some highlights here. Well, plot point highlight is a uh, bike gang, which is a real bike gang, by the way, they were called the, uh, in the movie, they're called the spirits. And, uh, I forget what the hell they're called it in real life, but it's a real biker gang from somewhere near Detroit. I I'm taking it that Northville is was somewhere near Detroit. So yeah, this biker gang, which, uh, like I said, is an actual biker gang. So take, take that, which you, from that, what you will about the acting quality in this movie. Yeah. It's like a bunch of raunchy bikers trying to be funny for the camera and just being stupid they get uh, blamed for a rape that they did not commit. And actually what turns out is the sheriff committed the rape and now he's got the townspeople after these bikers. So yay for him. One thing I'd like to say is this movie again has a lot of dudes uh, with no shirts on. No, not quite as many as the last one did, but what I do like about this movie is I like about all these seventies movies is that the boobies were just like natural and the bodies were natural. They weren't these like crazy fluffed up Hollywood crap you see today. Even in a B movie nowadays, uh, I think you'd be hard pressed to see some like really natural looking people. So in the very beginning, you, you do get to see a little bit of booby. Good for boobies. Um, you get to see some bikers in tight pants. So good for the ladies too. So this movie just devolves from there. The bikers end up being hunted. And there's lots of Nazi paraphernalia in this movie, uh, which I don't really dig. But here's this really nice biker gang helping these old people. And they're not, not to blame, but they're a bunch of Nazis. You know, I, I don't know. So let's knock out some of the highlights here. Well, one of the first highlights is a dude with a skunk hat. That's always a classic biker movie, you know piece of apparel the natural naked boobies that we see from the victim of the film uh, i'd like to say the fact that you're not going to see any of these people in any other film and nick nolte was credited in later on imdb he's credited as being in this film and i can't tell you where he is i didn't see him and i didn't even see his name in the credits of the film so i don't know why for whatever reason, Nick Nolte gets credit for being in this film when I don't think he actually is anywhere. Even He's not like even a gaffer or anything. Uh, 
the fact that one of the best parts actually is the uh, they meet up with the road agents MC and it you know it shows you that the MCs were like working kind of toler in on tolerable terms back then they they were working with each other but the 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 um, the I mean, they're not fight scenes but the scenes where they're getting attacked is the best because they're getting shot from like sniper fire okay. Uh, there's an old white dude that's hunted every sort of big game and now he's going after biker because that's the biggest game of all, right? And a similarity between this movie and Black Angels is that the beginning like makes zero sense. I have a feeling that like all of these movies didn't really make sense even when they were filming them. They were they just kind of went with it and they kind of fell into it later or they fired the guy. They're like, dude, this movie is going shit. We've already gone, gone through X amount of film and we can't afford to lose anymore. So like get somebody to get on this thing. So I, I don't know how these movies were filmed or how, you know, I couldn't tell you like how the production went on them, but it seemed like both movies uh, that I recently watched got better better as they go on like the production value gets a little better the audio kind of syncs up a little better and in this one uh, the Northfield Cemetery Massacre I actually have to say the special effects are pretty good I would watch all of the action scenes being the like bikers being hunted scenes the special effects are really good um, one of the other key highlights is when they visit some crazy old war dude uh to get their get some guns and he gives them a couple grenades and he says hey i'll give you all these guns for free to protect the american uh, way in the second amendment but you're gonna have to buy these grenades outright because i can't be responsible for them so that's pretty funny and the fact that this guy has a fucking submarine periscope coming from his bunker out into like the little lawn gnome it just cracks me up Nothing else really is redeeming about this movie, and there's really no other highlights except for the fact that, you know, their guys are on some pretty real custom choppers, and they're always playing grab ass every time they're driving, so that was probably real. And it's funny to watch how many times they almost eat shit during those, like, candid traveling scenes. And really, this movie is, like, some really shallow plot with a bunch of candid road scenes sprinkled throughout. And that's basically what most 1970s bike exploitation films are. That's why I'm saying the production value, it didn't cost much. You just go hang out with these guys and film them doing stupid shit that makes no sense for the plot and, like, for life. <laughs> so I guess I thought that that movie made no sense for the plot or for life. All right. Well, hey, that actually came out of episode 12. Uh, I went ahead and looked that up for you to see where that blast from the past came from. And it's actually like a friggin' half hour movie review right after listener Aussie Chris down there with his uh, fabulous Australian perspective probably said, hey, hey, buddy, you've been doing these movie reviews. Why don't you make them like short and succinct? But you know me. I'm a blabberpuss. I can talk so much about nothing all day that I blabbed about the worst movie in the world. So do yourself a favor. Well, don't do yourself a favor. I beg you not to go back and listen to, or watch those old movies. You'll go insane. But you can go back and listen to the old movie reviews. I forget how long I did them, but um, if you go back and search in the winter months of 2016, you'll probably find a few there. Uh, Yeah, so that was my blast from the past. I edited that down to like the best of the best of, and I went ahead and cut the last 20 minutes off because I got something I want to say before we get out of here. Hey everyone, this is Liza from the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast. And when I am getting a root canal or something else really just painful and shitty, I like to listen to the Creative Writing Podcast. 
because the best way to fight pain is with pain. And if you're looking for loads of pain, go check out the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast. Currently uh, podcasting wherever you get your podcasts. Podcast, podcast. Did I say podcast enough? Well, that's great because you're listening to the Creative Writing Motorcycle podcast. And uh, I wanted to say one thing before I get out of here. And that's regarding something that we were talking about last week on the show. Uh, I was talking about how much gear Wigs had just given me by Icon. And I just read something today. I've been really active on Reddit lately, uh, perusing all the stuff on there. A lot of good, uh, a lot of good stuff there in the motorcycle category. And uh, somebody I saw where it had posted on Road Racing World that the uh, Hazma, which is the Arroyo Seiko Motorcyclist Association, which is a uh, one track in one association in somewhere in New Mexico. Uh, they uh, decided that the road racing, I think it's like a road racing club or something like that, like a little club racing scene. And the Arroyo Seco Motorcycling Association said that no icon helmets will be allowed at any races anymore. Any of the uh, ASMA at the Arroyo Seco Motorcycle Association race events or track days or anything like that. And they said that they noticed that there's been a lot of crashes lately and the guys that seem to come up with concussions are the guys wearing Icon helmets. And uh, so they took a vote and 90% of the ASMA members decided, yeah, let's just hold off on this and uh, not allow anything from Icon and KYB, I believe, was the other brand. Now... I think, and then the guy goes on to say, there was a a really snarky comment, like, I don't think motorcyclists on this track or on the street or any kid playing in a sandbox should wear these. And he did go on to say that they haven't done any tests, and this is just an inconclusive sort of um, observation, anecdotal observation, and those are the most dangerous types to make. And I believe the representative from Icon, the the, uh, brand representative from Icon responded and said, you know, Icon helmets, uh, um, they basically conform to European and American standards. And there's like four different standards that they, uh, that they comply with all the safety standards. And there's nothing showing to, in, in their research and in their data that, uh, Anything that Icon has done, no, no design or anything like that, is, uh, you know, basically there's no reason why their helmet should be disallowed. And the track where the events are held isn't banning them. It's just this club, the uh, ASM, ASMA, that is banning it. And so when Chris and I were talking last week about the quality and the build and the cool things about these things, um, I agree. You know, I agree with Chris. There's a lot of cool functions here. And t- they, I looked at the helmet today after reading that article, and yeah, it complies with all a lot of the safety stuff. Now, to race, most of the time you're required to have a Snell helmet, and snow testing is a little bit more vigorous even than the the dot testing. And that's why uh, for most types of racing, even car racing, you have to have a special, either an SA helmet for cars or a snow helmet for bikes. And maybe even there's like another testing for bikes, road race helmets. But here's the deal. To make a claim like that is pretty dangerous. And it happens a lot in everything. It happens a lot in, in uh, bodybuilding and working out and fitness, stuff that a lot of people have eyes on. And as motorcyclists in such a small community, we all have our eyes on comments like that. And it might 
give things a bad look, you know, a bad appearance from the outside. And it's not the smart thing to do when you have zero empirical evidence to back up your statement. And I'm not just saying that because Chris is sponsored by Icon, and I'm not just saying that because he gave me some free stuff. I'm saying that because it's what you call bro science. And sometimes bro science uh, doesn't explain, but there are things that work about it. And uh, they don't explain why. They don't even know how or why it works. And when you're, when you're doing something and you don't know why it's working, or when you're doing something and you don't know why it's not working, but you go ahead and give explanations for it, such as anecdotal, like, oh, I know I did this and this and this, it doesn't prove and it doesn't help others make informed decisions about, well, what else were you doing? What else, you know, and I see it all the time in the fitness space, which is so dangerous because then you see it on the news. Oh, you know, eggs are bad one year, then they're good, then they're bad, then they're good. Bread is bad. Uh, the, the keto diet is good. The carnivore diet is good. Don't do cardio. Do tons of cardio. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like the same sort of thing. Now narrow that down to our tiny, tiny little niche uh, thing of, of uh, motorcycling and gear to be specific. And it's almost as, as uh, bad as, you know, berating one person's oil or, or fuel choices. Ah, oh, you can't do that. You know, and everyone gets in these huge debates and we start to fight each other over stupid pedestrian things like that. But when it comes to safety gear and um, safety, uh, I don't know, Things like um, street gear versus track gear, you can't go out and say that the, uh, one brand is causing uh, concussions. I'd like to see some numbers. I would like to see the proof. I would like to. I'd like you to show me the guys. I would like you to count up the guys that have concussions and then count how many of them were wearing Icon helmets and then test those Icon helmets or see if it was a specific. Uh, uh, what's a, what am I looking for? A specific model of helmet? Like there's a whole bunch of stuff that you really should do before you go making claims about stuff like that. And I just thought it was interesting um, because for a, uh, you know, a rider organization that's going to be holding their own little events to say one thing and then the track and every other organization doesn't really back that up. Um, it kind of speaks volumes, but at the same time, it makes the pages of road racing world and uh, a lot of people read that, you know what I'm saying? Especially a lot of track guys. And it's almost like the lawsuit thing that happened up north at, uh, was it Sonoma Raceway? And stuff like that that's ruining stuff for track days. You know, it's really ruining stuff for track days. And I don't want, you know, I just don't want people's um, ability to think for themselves to be to be ruined. And maybe you got a concussion. Hey, I was wearing a showy when I got hit and I slammed the back of my head. Nothing happened to me. I didn't get a concussion. So great. Maybe I could say showies are great, but maybe you know somebody that died in a showy. And uh, it could just, it could just be the circumstances. Then again, the guys that are wearing icons may be getting more concussions at this particular uh, organization's races. Maybe because the people that wear icon have humongous balls. You know, I don't know. It could be that. Like maybe you should look at that. Maybe the people that ride icon are riding way harder than the rest of you and crashing harder. Like that. Look at those type of things. Look at those factors. Don't just straight up say it's the helmet. So yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And um, another thing I heard today was the fires. We were just talking about the fires uh, at the beginning of this episode. God, it's been such a crazy week. Um, but I, I believe we were talking about at the beginning of this episode. And uh, there's been a whole bunch of stuff coming out about the fires. If you can help out, if you're in the L.A. area, of course, or if you're up north and you're in the NorCal um, areas that aren't being burned down, uh, please, if you can help, 
do it. Uh, something as little as taking a, a bag of cat food down to an organization that's collecting for the furry friends or donating to firefighters. My wife and I uh, kind of threw some money to a fund that gives supplies to firefighters. Um, I saw a lot of people cooking. Well, I think it was maybe a celebrity actually or somebody like that, that their house got saved. So all the firefighters were rallied around that and because uh, it was like the only standing structure to take uh, refuge in. So what they're doing is they got a whole bunch of um, hamburgers and cooked all the firefighters that were there dinner. I mean, any way that you can help out uh, would be awesome. And um, I know the rest of the country and probably the rest of the globe right now is um, not as engulfed in flames <laughs> as California. And I guess, you know, a couple episodes ago, I was being a dick about how nice the weather is here and how dry it is. Yeah, that's what happens when it's dry and sunny all the time. You explode. So with that, everybody, I hope you enjoy this episode. Next week, we're going to be covering today's event, the uh, the IMS uh, Progressive Motorcycle Show at IMS Long Beach. And we'll probably cover a little bit of the stuff that came out of ICMA. I don't know if we're going to have a challenge because we're probably going to be recording on the way home from the uh, show. So we probably won't have a challenge for you, but we'll get to that next week. We'll put it on pause I really want Chris to pull out some of this funny shit that I have in this helmet. So with that, I bid you adieu. And if you get a chance, leave us a review in iTunes or Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you uh, get your podcasts. And if you want to check out our Patreon page, go to www.patreon.com forward slash creative writing. And we're, we're on all the social medias, usually as creative writing podcast. We're on Twitter as creative underscore writer and uh, Tumblr as creative-writing on the web, creative-writing.com. And don't confuse creative writing with creative writing. All right, peace and grease.